This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson, featuring notes and articles that help you follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout Scripture. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Nathan here with my twin brother, John, and welcome to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast, where we want to continue to have conversations about seeing Christ in all the scriptures in a way that is both clear, but also life-changing. And we're going to take just a short break from season one to have a conversation with David Platt about Christ-Centered interpretation and Christ-Centered preaching. David is the lead pastor of McLean Bible and also the one of the editors of the Christ-Centered Exposition series. And so, David, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Always good to talk to you, brother. So we want to start off with some rapid fire questions, just to kind of let the audience get to know you. I mean, obviously most would know who you are, but maybe some more uh, kind of questions about history and biography, uh, particularly when it comes to preaching. May throw in a sports question uh, in there as well, because uh, you can't talk to the Akins without talking about sports. And so uh, let's just jump in. So tell me, how old were you the first time you preached? Man, I was in eighth grade. Uh, the real quick story is I could preach on any text. Uh, I was preaching like for my youth group, and I chose Revelation 3, 16 through 18, Laodicea, spew you out of my mouth. I walked up in front of the, it's like 100 people in our youth group. I walked up before I said anything, I just, uh, I took a sip of water and then I spit it out on the front row. And I was like, that's what God thinks of you if you're lukewarm. And so, uh, yeah, that's how, that's how it started eighth grade. You were using props before they were cool. Um, (laughs) so, uh, that's a great first. Was it, was it an exposition you'd say? Uh, I would say it was my best effort at exposition. I mean, (laughs) I like, I spent hours and hours preparing, uh, and I mean, Matthew Henry was my go-to. Oh, like, go. yeah. <laughs> if he didn't say it, I probably wasn't saying it. That's awesome. Do you remember the first time you preached an Old Testament text and what the text was? Oh, man. First time to ever preach. I think, so the first one that comes to my mind, we started doing like a Bible study in my house, and but it turned into kind of a big thing and uh, with like a bunch of people coming coming to Christ. It was awesome. This was in high school. And I remember preaching from Joshua uh, 24, just choose you this day. It was like this evangelistic message. Yeah. Would, yeah. You, would you say it was Christ-centered? Ah, uh, man. <laughs> I mean, looking back with like the best of intentions, I hope it was. I mean, it was gospel. It was like evangelistic. Exactly. So I'm, yeah. I'm sure hopeful it was. That's great. Uh, some more logistical questions about sermons. Do you so before you preach on Sunday? Do you practice your sermon, or do you just kind of go up there with what you studied, and that's the first time you kind of work through it? No, I I write out full manuscript, and uh, and then as I'm writing it, I'm pretty much preaching it. Now, once I've finished ri- writing it out, I'll read through it. Certainly, like Sunday morning, uh, is everything if everything goes as planned, I'll read through it, make edits, uh, but. The whole time I'm writing that manuscript, I'm like, I'm preaching. Like my kids know, like when Dad's like yelling in here, what's happening. <laughs> gotcha. So, do you take that full manuscript up there with you? 
Yeah, full manual. Like I'm, I like, and I'm pretty tied to it. Like word for word, most every word I say is written in front of me. I feel like I remember one time printing off a manuscript for you when you were preaching it here at Southeastern, and I think you had no margins. It was just the whole piece of paper had font across, or had writing across the whole thing. Did you still do that? Yeah, no, no, no. That was the old school. What I would print out, like, yeah, like 10.5 all on a whole page, and it'd be like shorthand. Now I just use the iPad. So yeah. it's, uh, I just have a Word doc that's kind of a bulleted uh, manuscript. Two more quick, quick, quick. Go ahead, John. Do you have it like memorized, basically? No, no, definitely not memorized. I mean, I, I feel like I know it pretty well, but I'm, I'm reading gotcha. for sure. Maybe more uh, kind of off the preaching topic, who's your favorite football team? I mean, Georgia uh, would be the uh, favorite football team. Yeah. That was intentional. Um, (laughs) Next, next question. When will the millennium happen? Oh man. (laughs) I, I, I'm, (laughs) I mean, we could be in it. Well, so, uh, at least you like Georgia. I, I, (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 man, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. I'm just, uh, yeah. I, amen. 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 Well, now we're going to just jump into the more meat of kind of what we're trying to get at Christ centered and clear podcast. So John is going to start with some questions around uh, th- that topic. Well, one, let me set up by saying this, David, um, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you're always trying to improve as a preacher. And that's what we're hoping uh, this podcast will help us and others as they listen to it. But I just remember, you may not remember this. There's one time, the first time we ever really hung out, I had done a wedding in Hattiesburg and was driving back to Kentucky. And I stayed at your, Nick Moore and I, who's a missionary mm-hmm. in Africa, stayed at your house. And we ate dinner with you and your wife and got done. And then you said, hey, guys. What do you think are some things I could do to to improve my preaching that I could do better? And I was like, like Nick gave some kind of really great answer. That was awesome. <laughs> and I was like, you're David Platt. Like, what? You're already like the best preacher I know. And I, and I said, you know, one thing that you could do is maybe preach shorter. And Heather goes, see, I told you. <laughs> and I thought that was the greatest thing ever. Well, and I've clearly so, not taken that counsel. So hopefully I, I've taken uh, counsel better than that one. But yeah. <laughs> well, I do appreciate that. Appreciate that about you and, and your preaching. So let me just ask this question first. What in your mind as you're preaching, obviously we want to preach Christ. Uh, what is a Christ-centered sermon and why is it important to preach a Christ-centered sermon? So the way I understand preaching Christ, like it's not like just mentioning Jesus in a sermon. Uh, it's not, uh, not just like identifying Jesus, especially when like preaching from the old Testament with, the Lord Yahweh in the Old Testament. So I'm thinking through in every sermon, like how do I take the message of this text, which I believe ultimately points us to Jesus, and then make that clear in the sermon, how the message of this text like integrates with the climax of God's Word in the person, in the work, in the teaching of Christ. And so that's what I, that's what I'm, and so I would say like, there's a sense in which if I'm not, if we're not careful, we could even preach new Testament texts that aren't actually preaching Christ and showing him as the fulfillment of God's word. Uh, and every, every, 
command we're called to obey, every uh, belief we're called to embrace, it all centers around Christ. And so I want that to be clear. I want that to be clear to the unbeliever who's listening in, who's not my primary audience, unless I'm preaching a specifically evangelistic message. Um, and I want that to be clear to the believer who's there. So that would get into this question of why, why is it important to preach that way? You're talking about even commands and these kinds of things. Why is it important to preach in that way? <laughs> well, uh, so theologically, I think it's important. So just my theology of preaching is that uh, the way I magnify the glory of God as a preacher is by magnifying the word of God and uh, exposing his word, exposition, um, and his word is fully revealed in the person of Christ. So then the way I magnify the glory of God in preaching is by magnifying Jesus in preaching. Like this is what we've been commanded to do, to preach Christ among the nations. Uh, and then, And then the reality is like, well, theologically, the purpose of preaching, like, uh, I want to preach Galatians 4.19, was looking at this yesterday, to see Christ formed in people individually and the church as a whole. And so how will I preach to see them formed in Christ if Christ is not, if I don't hold Christ before them? I was in 2 Corinthians 3.18 yesterday, just like beholding the glory of God, being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. That's only going to happen when they behold Christ. And so if I, if I want them to look like Christ, I need to see Christ. And uh, and the reality is I'm preaching. So when I'm preaching to the church, I'm preaching to people who are united with Christ, who are in Christ. Christ is in them. Christ is with them. They're with Christ. This, this doctrine of union with Christ. So I want, to, I want to point them to the joy of Jesus living in them, the wisdom of Jesus living in them, in them the power of Jesus, strength of Jesus living in them, the love of Jesus living in them. Like, I want to drive them into deeper intimacy with Jesus through, uh, through preaching his word. So, uh, yeah. Now be a good time to hear from our sponsor. This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson. Biblical theology allows you to ponder the individual stories and themes of scripture while observing how they all fit together in God's grand biblical narrative. That's why this unique study Bible features three articles in introducing biblical theology and 25 articles unpacking key themes of scripture. The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible contains detailed book introductions, 20,000 verse-by-verse study notes, 28 theologically rich articles by authors such as Tim Keller and Kevin DeYoung, hundreds of full-color photos, more than 90 maps, and over 60 charts. All of this allows readers to marvel at the big story while savoring each detail. With a focus on biblical theology and the overarching story of Scripture, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible helps readers follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout the Scriptures. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. When and, and maybe how did you get introduced to this idea of Christ-centered preaching, Christ-centered interpretation? I know that's not always been kind of a even just commonplace in Southern Baptist life, but even 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 in evangelicalism. How did you get introduced to this topic? Yeah, I remember specifically in seminary uh, starting to read like uh, stuff from Graham Goldsworthy or uh, Sidney Gradanus on preaching Christ in the Old Testament, uh, and the more and just like a and I would say increasing understanding of biblical theology and Christ at the 
center of biblical theology, and then uh, that affecting the way I well, understand scripture and read scripture in a Luke 24 kind of way that's pointing to Christ. And then, um, and then obviously then that has implications for preaching. So you are an editor with my dad and, and uh, Tony on the Christ-centered commentaries. And obviously there's a scale uh, when we talk about Christ-centered preaching, like not every person even writing in that series uh, preaches Christ the exact same way. So on that scale of kind of a maximalist to minimalist, where would you see yourself on that scale? Um, and outside of Gradanus and, and those, who who are some other folks that you've been influenced mm-hmm. by? Well, I would say, uh, well, people have influenced me. I mean, certainly Jim Shaddix, who teaches there. At South- I mean, he's the one who taught me preaching when I was at New Orleans in seminary. And uh, um, I mean, yeah. I can't even begin to measure his influence on me preaching wise. And then, but even as a part of that, uh, I mean, he introducing me to whether it was Brian Chapel on, on Christ and preaching and the whole idea of fallen redemption focus. And, uh, and, and then I would say John Piper, because he is so, I just think he's such a theological preacher. Like he's always, uh, attaching the text to the broader picture of uh, theology, biblical theology, theology in particular, and and the way that helps me uh, think about pointing to Christ. Um, so, where would I find myself on the? Where would I put myself on the spectrum? I hope, uh, man, it makes me want to listen to like all my sermons and evaluate them based on this. But uh, I hope I would be pretty far on the spectrum of uh, like. Christ is going to be supreme, not at the end of the sermon, not at the, uh, this, like trying to find him under this rock in the old Testament, but like that there is a, all throughout my preaching, that there is a clear integration of his person, his work, his teaching, who he is, how he calls us to live, uh, at the core of what I'm doing as I'm proclaiming God's word. So in season one, we're covering some of the objections to this. You know, there's some of them are to say, you know, the apostles did this, but you can't do this, or the Old Testament stand on its own, or application will be flattened. Are any of those objections compelling? Were they have they been compelling to you over time? And why ultimately would you still consider yourself, in light of those objections, a Christ or preacher, in particular of the Old Testament? But again, as we said, you can do this in the New Testament as well. So kind of thinking through those objections, where would you stand? I guess as I've thought through those objections, I think my mind mainly, uh, like, cause I want to consider them like fully. I think I end up instead of them being objections in my mind, as I process through them, they're more really good cautions. Um, so I don't want to flatten application in a way that ignores the even like ethical thrust of uh, a passage in the Old Testament or New Testament for that matter. Like, uh, but I do want to show that um, like any imperative in the scripture is an invitation from Christ to allow his power in us to bring that about. And so I'm going to make that connection strong, but I don't want to flatten application. Like I want to preach that I want, I want to get into the shoes of those who are listening and, uh, in the, 
Yeah, in the first century and uh, or in New Testament, obviously uh, farther back in the Old Testament, and really hear this as they would have heard it. That's where uh, I think it was preaching Christ in the Old Testament was so helpful and just making sure to kind of uh, zoom in almost like a Google Earth kind of way on the individual text and to zoom out and kind of see how does this fit into the national history, even of Israel and what God's doing among his people in the Old Testament, but don't stop there, like zoom out in the whole scale of redemptive history. That was really helpful for me and just seeing it on different levels. So whether it's a text like David and Goliath, where that kind of is kind of easy, I would say, to point to. Um, but any other text, to make sure to kind of see it on those different levels was really helpful for me. So all that to say, these objections, I think, can be really helpful cautions, because uh, I don't want to read something in the text that's not there. But I also uh, don't want to, I think Christ is the center of the Bible. So uh, I'm fine to like see him as the center of the Bible. Um, so anyway, cautions, really helpful cautions at that. That's a helpful way to look at it. How, how often do you say, if you were to put percentages on this, um, just guessing, how often would you say you preach the Old Testament? Uh, that's a good question. I, I would say, I mean, obviously it's going to vary. Like if you're going through a series over the course of a year, it's like 100, almost 100% um, New Testament or Old Testament. Like we just finished walking through the Psalms. But I would say it's about half and half. Uh, I think I, if anything, I favor the old Testament. Like I love preaching the old Testament. Like I, I love it. Uh, so, but I love preaching the new Testament too. So, uh, no, it's all good. When I left the church I pastored in in Tennessee and they were introducing the interim, they said, he's going to introduce you to a part of the Bible you never (laughs) heard of before. It's the new Testament. (laughs) So thanks a lot. Um, but it, it does, it does, it does feel like, um, even some of our great expositors, um, even some guys that you've mentioned already, didn't didn't spend a whole lot of time in the Old Testament. Now we have some actively arguing that we shouldn't spend so much time in the Old Testament. Why do you give so much weight to that outside of just your personal, obviously you like it, but why else, why else would that be something that you find important in your preaching? I just think it's so rich. I mean, we've got... 39 books inspired by the Holy Spirit who are all that are all all ultimately pointing us to redemption in Jesus and uh, laying so many foundations and even when I think about so there's just a, a part of the conversation I don't think is always prevalent um, even when I think about what this command to make disciples among the nations like when you're working among Muslim people certainly Jewish people, uh, but in just many different ways, uh, in many different worldviews, like there's, there's, there's even, yeah, there's just Old Testament stories that are really helpful in identifying themes that are common to our hearts that are put there by God, uh, and then showing Christ as the fulfillment of God's promises. Christ is the, uh, the one to whom all of these things that God has actually put in our hearts point, um, so I would just say I uh, I just don't have any reservations in maximizing thirty nine Holy Spirit inspired books that are all pointing us to Jesus and and just the rich to the rich genres that are different 
from the New Testament, whether it's the song, like, I love the Psalms. I mean, who doesn't love the Psalms? Um, and then the narratives in the Old Testament, uh, obviously prophecy, what a unique genre that's going to be different in the New Testament. Um, so uh, even just the giving of the law. So those are beautiful genres that open us up to many, I think, essential things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a worshiper of God. So let's talk just uh, about what your study looks like. So let's think of, you said you just finished the Psalms. If you can think of a passage that you did recently, um, maybe give us a summary of that passage. If, if, if we're not familiar with it, if it's not one that's real familiar. So we kind of just know what that text is about. And then how did you find the Christ connection? How did you preach Christ? And then how did you apply? Yeah. All right. So, all right, I'm pulling it up right now. So Psalm 133, it's a super simple Psalm, uh, about brothers dwelling together in unity and, uh, like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. Uh, like why? Why would, uh, so this is, yeah, I, I'm actually now picking like an easier one, but I, I just preached it. So, um, so one, this picture, like authentic dwelling together in unity, the song of a sense, this picture of God's people coming together, uh, for worship, the festival, um, from amidst their diverse tribes coming together, dwelling in unity. Why would it be like, there's so many things the psalmist could say, like what, uh, what is unity like? It's like trees in a forest or I don't know. There's like a million things. Why like oil on a head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his ropes? Like, what's that about? Uh, what? I just not, it's not the first image that comes to my mind when I think of unity, like oil on the head running down the beard. So why is that? Well, I, he's pointing to like the, the importance of the priests and the role of the priests and how this unity before among the people of God was made possible by offerings that they were coming to sacrifice and the priests doing that. And so just diving into that text. So I'm studying that text. Just, okay, what is this like uh, for Here's in the first, or not in the first century, but here's in that time period, uh, as it's being written, uh, thinking through how does the priest unify us and how does what he does and this whole picture of offering, how does that bring unity? And then I, it's like, easy at that point, right? Like, so I've just shown it's the grace of God through sacrifice that makes it possible for us to experience like our unity in Christ. Like, uh, this is a, the greater priest, uh, and he makes it possible. He, he reconciles us to God, reconciles us to one another. Um, and I would say we're not like flattening application at this point. There's like a beautiful application flowing from that for the church, especially amidst diversity, uh, in the church. So uh, anyway, that's that's yeah. an example of that's Psalm good. 133. I, I've preached Psalm 133 before, and I just love the picture. So, I mean, when Jesus walks out of the grave, he says to Mary, I mean, he, one of the first things he says, go get my brothers. The very brothers who have denied him, betrayed him, turned their back on him, and he's now reconciling them, making this new family. This, and it's one of the first things he says as he's raised from the dead. And it just seems to me to be a beautiful picture of this dwelling together in unity and how sweet the gospel is to bring that kind of unity. Yes, yes. Wonderful. It's good.
but you didn't you didn't bring oil up there and have a beard and <laughs> pour it okay. on myself. No, I was not doing that. I yeah. spit the water out. That, so, so did, was it Dr. Shaddix who taught you not to do that? Or when did you that's learn a, not to spit? That's a good question, the man. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I've done that since then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's an attention nice. grabbing illustration. Yeah, exactly. but they never forgot that's attention it. grabbing. <laughs> so, well, David, man, thanks, John. You have any more questions? Yeah. Yeah, I have one more question. Just um, talk about contextualization in preaching. And so what would you say are the differences from preaching Christ, preaching the word in Birmingham versus now uh, doing that in D.C.? Yeah, <laughs> D.C., man. Um, so it's different than Birmingham. I'll uh, uh, definitely say that. I, but I, so obviously, uh, just we all be on the same page, but I'm not going to say it like, I'm not going to assume it. Um, like preaching the text, meaning is going to be the same. Uh, truths are going to be the same. Then it's going to be like application and that whole bridge building process that John Stott talks about. So, okay. As I'm building the bridge to this people, like, okay, that, so I just take, for example, that sermon on Psalm 133, uh, like, okay, where are the threats to unity? How do we need to look at Christ in the middle of our unity? And, uh, yeah. And so to specifically apply that in a, so in a very divisive city, certainly politically, um, a very diverse city. I mean, even in our church, we have hundred plus countries represented in our church. So how sweet it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity and sort of make that kind of application in that setting. And so that's the, that's the beauty of what we get. So I, I would say when it comes to contextualization, I'm thinking primarily application or illustration. Uh, so certainly not interpretation, uh, and meaning, but what illustrations are going to be helpful here that might be a little different, uh, than in Birmingham or what application do, uh, might, might be specific here. There's going to be some, obviously that's, uh, that's applicable across all lives at all times, but if there's to the situation, to the context that we're living in, that's where I'm thinking through contextualization, illustration, application. That's good. David, any Very final helpful. disencouragements for pastors out there who are kind of really di- diving in for the first time to Christ-centered uh, preaching? Uh, like I, so here's here's my my prayer in my own life. Like I just pray continually. I want to grow in deeper intimacy with Jesus. Like I just want to, in a Hudson Taylor kind of way, I want to experience the joy more and more and more, just an increasing measure of Jesus living in me, of my life in him. And so that that would be my encouragement to pastors, like even just on a personal level, to let your reading of scripture lead you to deeper intimacy with Jesus. And then, so then flowing from that, then to preach in such a way that the people who are listening are growing in intimacy with Jesus, not just knowledge of God or not even just knowledge of his word. Like that's necessary. That's critical for essential for, but like preach so that they love Jesus more so that they know Jesus love for them more. So they know who he is and what he says and, uh, and how he empowers us to live like 
full, uh, abundant lives, uh, like blessed, happy. That's the words like uh, Psalm 1 starts with, and I was preaching from Psalm 146, like blessed, blessed, happy, like full, lasting happiness. It's found in Jesus. So let that drive your personal praying and reading of the Bible, and then let it affect the pastoral work that you do every time you proclaim the Bible. Most hearers will know this, but Radical.net, you can find David's sermons and also check out Christ-Centered Exposition. Uh, uh, he has author-specific ones and obviously he's an editor of that. Uh, but David, thanks so much for taking time to be with us on Christ-Centered and Clear. Man, hugely encouraging being with you guys. So thanks for this. Always good talking, brother. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.